Good evening, church. Yeah. I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to go away with the young adults this week. Um, I believe they all had a, a very good time. It was a blessed time. Uh, we were there with the young adults from Kloof Baptist Church as, as well, and, and so I think that was a, a great blessing for both churches. Uh, we had our kids around, and um, you know, Sharae and I are not helicopter parents, so we kind of let them do their own thing, and other people who are around are more scared than we are, and will jump in if they're ever getting any kind of danger, so we had a nice relaxing time. Except for, I mean, the time my, my son had me running around. You know, when you, you're younger, you usually change your career path many, many times before you reach adulthood. Noah just keeps adding to his list of career paths, and now he wants to be a tennis player as well. I want to express gratitude as well to Andrew uh, for sharing the word this morning. Um, I, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for you, Andrew. I think you're um, an asset to the church, and uh, we just want to thank you for your dedication, really, to the Word of God. Let's uh, come together again to God's Word, and let's read Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 6 to 18. Ruth 1, 6 to 18. Then she, this is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place. <laughs> so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in the womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are grateful for your word. 
Lord, it is our, our hope and prayer that always HBC would be a church that champions the Word of God, its inerrancy, infallibility, its absolute sufficiency for our life and our godliness. And we come again together tonight, a second time today, Lord, with this commitment and with this hope that you would work through your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the well-known parable of the prodigal son, after squandering his inheritance and resorting ultimately to feeding out of the pig's trough, the young man wakes up to this realization in Luke 15, 17. He says, Even my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. And so he decides to swallow his pride and beg his father's forgiveness. Now one of the truths of this parable is this, that choosing the world over the Father's house is like sitting in a pigsty when real bread is on offer. C.S. Lewis said it's like being content, playing in a mud puddle in a slum because you just have no idea what is on offer or, 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 or no idea or no clue what it means when a, a holiday at the sea is on offer. David said, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now you may be wondering, what does the story of the prodigal son have to do with Ruth 1? And the answer is everything. As we'll see in this passage, the story is much like the prodigal's return. In fact, the word return is the theme of this text. That Hebrew word occurs 12 times, the exact word in this chapter alone. And when the Hebrew author uses repetition like that, it's always to make a point. This word is the Old Testament's main word for turning back to God's covenant grace and His mercy. It's the word for repentance to describe conversion. The author here is showing us the story of a conversion. Sinclair Ferguson said, this is one of the greatest and perhaps most detailed accounts in the Old Testament of how God sovereignly works to bring someone to faith. And that's what we have in the story of Ruth tonight. Just to recap, if you remember, we met last week this little family a husband and a wife and two sons are a little family with a big dilemma. They're living in dark days in the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there is famine in the land. And the author notes this with a, a touch of irony. They're from Bethlehem, which means literally the house of bread. And so the story opens with no bread in the house of bread. And yet they make a strange decision to move to the land of Moab, the enemies of Israel, worshippers of the, the god Chemosh, who required child sacrifice. There's not a single good connotation in all of Scripture connected to the land of Moab. And disaster struck in that place. A husband, Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons die leaving Naomi widowed and alone 
with no one except his two Moabite daughters-in-law. Well, in verse 6, we see this first note of hope in the book. Naomi hears that God has visited the people of Israel, that there is food again in the land of Judah. The God of the book of Ruth is the sovereign God who controls not just the famine, but the rain and the harvest as well. And so Naomi decides to return to the land of Judah, the promised land, her home. Her daughters are following as well. They begin on the way back to this road and then stop somewhere, perhaps at the crossroads. They seem ready to follow her all the way. And yet Naomi will try to convince them to return to the land of Moab. And they make different decisions, these daughters. In Orpah we see the, the pragmatic decision, the right decision to make from a human possibilities point of view. She will return to the familiar, to the safe, to the comfortable, and all for the sake of her happiness. Well, Ruth refuses to go back to Moab. And yet this is still a, a, a tale, a story, a tale of two returnings. For it is the story of, in one sense, Ruth's returning to the land of Israel. It's a story of Ruth's conversion. Ruth's returning is that of one of a people who have long left Yahweh in the dust. Her people have, in a sense, been in a far country for a very long time. Remember that the people of Moab came from the, they were the descendants of Lot. And in one sense, they've been estranged ever since Lot chose to separate from Abraham. Ruth's returning is coming to a land that is completely foreign to her, but in one sense, it is returning to a place which is her soul's true home. With the short time that we have together, we just want to just want to look at these two returnings. First, Orpah's and then Ruth's. Let's look at Orpah's returning. Naomi had heard that there's food in Judah, and she thought it's much much better to be a widow in my homeland than in Moab. Perhaps in a state of destitution, she can appeal to a kinsman to help and to provide food. But why should her daughters? Follow. Why should they share the same fate? And so she says to them in verses 8 and 9, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And so in Naomi's appeal, we see here love and concern. True love and true concern for them. She sends them to their mother's house so that maybe remarriage could be arranged in the land and they would gain through that a security that was otherwise so elusive for, for women in this day and age. She says to them, may you find rest. And that term denotes in the Old Testament a peace and security that really come only from Yahweh. Only God can give this rest. And yet you must wonder at, at this point in the story, why does she believe that the only hope there is for rest for these young women would come from returning to the land of Moab? There certainly could be a rest in that land. 
a worldly security for sure. But what about the rest that really matters? The rest that is ours, even when our, our circumstances seem anything but good. I believe Naomi is urging, and they're urging their return to Moab is the urging of sensibility and an urging out of love and concern. But it is not the urging of faith. It's not the urging of faith. Well, at first they both refused to leave her, and so she ramps up her argument a little bit in verses 11 to 13. Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Naomi is here setting out in her mind the hopelessness of their situations should they return with her. It looks like she's referencing a custom that existed. You remember a custom that the, the Pharisees brought up when they were talking with Jesus about marriage. If a man died and left behind a, a widow, it was the duty of a, a younger, unmarried brother to wed her and to bear her children. In this way, the, the widow would be left cared for in a male-dominated world. And the first son of that union would be seen as the son of the deceased brother to carry on the name, which was very important, and the family line. But Naomi saying, even if I, I'm too old, even if I got married now, I can't bear any sons. And even if by some miracle I did bear sons, you're too old. Would you wait around for them to grow up? Would you have their sons? The whole situation seems hopeless to Naomi. Obviously hopeless. Or so she believes. According to, to Naomi, the only hope that exists for these young women is beyond ridiculous. So there can be no hope at all if they follow her. And in this, Naomi does what we so often do. In her, her state of despair, she can't imagine a future that where trouble gives way to a good end. You know, we often we think ahead in our, our current circumstances and all we can see in the future is a bleak reality. Have you ever thought in this way? The rest of the book will prove that just because she couldn't see any good coming out of the situation doesn't mean that God has somehow lost the plot or that she or the daughters are consigned to a lifetime of despair. She goes further. She believes that God has even made her an enemy in verse 13. No, my daughters, she says, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Is this how you think at times and how you reason? It's just all bad around you. There's no way out. God's answer, I believe the answer of the book of Ruth would be to us, you, you just can't see very far. In fact, when it comes to the future, you can't see two inches in front of your face. Why do we waste time struggling with this? Why do we waste time um, playing these hypotheticals, seeing only doom and despair? God says, trust me. Trust me for the future. Well, in... 
In verse 14, Orpah consents to this request and she makes her return to Moab. She makes the sensible choice back to her people and her gods and a more secure future. And so Orpah in this way walks off out of the pages of Scripture. Ian Dugwood says, she rejected the road to emptiness, but at the same time unknowingly turned aside from the one road that could have led her to a life of lasting significance and meaning. The world's wise choice to avoid emptiness leads in the end to a different kind of oblivion. Does she meet Mr. Wright? Very possibly. She maybe lives the rest of her life in safety and in comfort and security. But so what? So what? The truth of the matter in this story is a truth that we hold tightly in our hearts. It's a truth that is a comfort no matter how bad our situations sometimes seem. We have something presently, today and every day, that can never be taken away and is not worth giving up for all the happiness and all the security that could possibly be found in the world. Ruth is weighing things up with different lenses. She sees it like this. My choice is this. It's Yahweh plus nothing in Bethlehem or everything minus Yahweh in Moab. And so let's look at Ruth's Returning, number two. In verse 15, Naomi tries one more time with Ruth. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And Ruth's response, these are her first words in the book. It is a well-known response. These words, they tower like a majestic monument of faithfulness above the landscape of pragmatism and hopelessness that seems to mark the times. In verse 16 to 18, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Were we Hebrews listening to this story for the first time, we would pick up on the signals of of this as being a, a conversion experience. A returning moment. She takes the covenant name of Yahweh upon her lips when she makes this oath. She doesn't say, may Kemosh, but rather may Yahweh do so to me. And more, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth uses covenant language in binding herself to Naomi and to Yahweh. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Does that ring a bell for us? Remember when God calls Israel in the wilderness to Himself and makes a covenant with them. He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. It's covenant language. She is, as Boaz understands later in chapter 2, 
taking refuge under the wings of God. Ruth pitches herself to Naomi and to Yahweh for life. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. In her heart, she no longer has allegiance to Moab and to its gods. This is no half measure or partial commitment. She's not going to return if Naomi should die soon. She is sinking the ships with this oath. And she leaves her fate in Yahweh's hands. There's a, a strong thematic link here between Ruth and Abraham, by the way. There are many links between the book of Ruth and the, the book of Genesis. He too gave up a home and gave up a people to follow Yahweh into a, a foreign land. But unlike Ruth, Abraham went under Yahweh's commitment of blessing, didn't he? A, a promised land, a promised heritage. Ruth made this decision to go without husband, without children, without wealth or any prospects of any of that. This move is not a move she made in the hopes of having a better life in the here and now. She would not expect warm welcome in the land. Ian Dugwood again says, There was nothing kosher about Ruth. She knew she would be about as welcome in Bethlehem as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. Right? This is not for earthly comforts, but out of covenant faithfulness to, to Naomi and belief in Naomi's God. It is as Parker puts it, and as I quote so often, we don't come to God to get stuff, we come to God to get God. And so it must be for us. And may it be for us. We don't follow Christ with plan B's or with options open. And, and this commitment is so important, especially when things don't seem to be going the right way or according to plan. When you feel a little bit like Naomi, God's hand has gone out against me. You know, by the way, we see this phrase throughout the Old Testament. But we see it like this, God's hand was against so-and-so. Naomi takes that phrase and she actually makes it stronger. This is the language of warfare. God's hand went out against me like an army going out for war. God, she says, has made me His enemy. Do you ever feel this way? You shouldn't if you're a child of God. In Christ, we have a double answer for these times. These times where we can't trace what God is doing. We know the truth every minute of every single day that God is not against us. He is not against us. He is for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The gospel must answer our doubts when trouble comes. Who left his father's house to dwell among us, saying to us, where you are, I will be. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Christ did. Against whom did the father's hand truly go in bitter judgment? Though we are the sinners and he, the sinless, pure Lamb of God, was Christ. Who did not shirk death, but died and was buried among us. Though He is the very God of life. It was Christ. 
Jesus is the answer that Naomi needs. And He is the answer that you and I need and have tonight. His atonement answers our doubts. And His sufficiency comforts, comforts us in our sorrows. Over the last month or two, my family has experienced many comforts from the hand of God, but none compared to this, the truth that beats our hearts into love, that He is enough and that He is worth it. There are moments for the Christian, for the child of God, when things don't seem to be going well, but you realize Christ is enough. And our experience of worship in those times, the road may be difficult, but He is worth it. Alistair Begg, the, the pastor, tells a story of a time he was working in a cafe. He was sitting and reading his Bible and going over notes of an upcoming sermon. There was virtually no one else in that cafe at the time. And then a, a Chinese student from a, a local university walked into the cafe and saw his Bible open and asked if Begg was a, a Christian. And Begg said, yes, I am. And the student responded, I am a Christian too. And so Alistair Begg asked her, how did, you, how did you become a Christian in China? And so she replied, I entered through the narrow gate. I entered through the narrow gate. Whoever you are, the only way to Jesus and the only way to life is through the narrow gate. And Ruth entered on this day and never regretted it. There's never been a single person who has entered through that narrow gate and has regretted that for one minute. Regretted it for the narrowness of the road or the difficulty of the journey. What we gain in Christ is always more than enough. Always greater than we deserve. And always proof of God's plan to deal kindly with His children. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, our ransom and our Redeemer. We thank you for the, the comfort that we have in our trouble, that Jesus is in That even our trouble only serves to bring us closer to Him, closer to you.